it's a beast. It's not for the faint of heart. There was a lot of sleepless nights being like, we raised all this money. We're not even sure if we can actually do this. Thomas and I always say like, for any of our competitors, good luck. If you wanted to go do it, it's going to take you a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 104 of the Betting Startups podcast with Matt Rum from Loop Golf, which is golf's premium betting app. Guest hosted by Evan Kirkham, this episode explores the unique way that Loop Golf is helping facilitate real money betting on the links. Matt and Evan discuss how Matt's experience at Square helped him navigate the regulatory complexity of incorporating payments into Loop Golf, how he's approaching product development and feature prioritization with a lean team, and the marketing tactics and channels that Loop Golf is leveraging to drive product awareness and user acquisition. This was a super insightful episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. The Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming market. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash betting startups. And if you like what you see, you'll get your first month free. All right, we are back with the Betting Startups podcast, and it's the final episode for the month of February, which means I'll be back on the microphone asking questions again starting next week. But for now, we're welcoming back another guest host for this episode, which is an entrepreneur I have a ton of respect for. Evan Kirkham from Outlier is here. And Evan, you were a guest yourself on the podcast last April. And at that time, you had recently pivoted your company into what is now Outlier. And I have to say, from the outside looking in, you and your team are running an absolute clinic on how to build and scale a consumer product. So Maybe just to get us started here, can you give the audience a quick update on how things are going for the outlier business since you were a guest on the pod uh, almost a year ago now? Yeah, appreciate the kind words. Things have been, as you as you just stated, I mean, they've been pretty wild. We um, we launched the app last January, so it's been about 13 months. We've been seeing incredible growth, hundreds of thousands of users at this point. We're sending, you know, 500,000 plus bets in the sports books every month. Yeah, launching new products keeping the team really small, but kind of squeezing everything we've got out of the team and making some pretty good progress. Awesome. Well, I think we'll have to get you back on soon for a follow-up episode to dive deeper into how you've achieved the success, but let's shift and tee up the episode where you were the one asking the questions. You spoke with Matt Rum from Loop Golf, which is doing some pretty interesting things at the intersection of payments and golf. So just wondering, Evan, if you can give the audience a quick preview of your discussion with Matt. Yeah, I really enjoyed my discussion with Matt. One thing that I took away from it is just how critical founder product fit is. Matt had a really, really relevant background. He was a products op manager at Cash App, talent lead at Square. So he's always been at this kind of intersection of payments and golf. So it's no surprise that he's doing really great things with Loop Golf. He comments on everything from how he builds team to how he prioritizes product. I asked him a question about you know, if he was sitting at the the 19th pole and he heard someone talking about loop golf, what is it that he'd hoped that they were saying? Anyway, it was a really interesting conversation. Matt was a cool guy and we just chopped it up for a little while, learned a lot. Awesome. Well, you did a great job in the host seat. So thanks again for stepping up to help me out with this one. And with that, let's get into your discussion with Matt Rum from Loop Golf. Really excited to be here with Matt Rum, the co-founder and CEO of Loop Golf today. Matt, it's a pleasure having you on the pod. It's Fun filling in for Jesse and getting to, to interview really cool people like you. So happy to have you here, man. Thanks for having me, Evan. I appreciate it. And shout out to Jesse for, for the opportunity. Shout out to Jesse. All right, man. So let's just start with a little bit of background. You know, tell me or tell really the audience 
who you are, where you're from, what brought you out to San Francisco, what yeah. got you interested in payments and golf? Just kind of give me the personal and career history. Yeah, I'm originally from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So I kind of grew up in the hotbed of college basketball. I grew up a Duke fan. And that led me, you know, to my first love, which was basketball, where I ended up playing at the collegiate and professional level at William & Mary, and then briefly over in Europe. And when I was winding down my career, you know, my brother had, had moved out west, was living in San Francisco at the time. I didn't really have a plan or have, you know, really any idea what I wanted to do next. And, and he offered to allow me to crash at his spot on his couch. And at the time, it was 2013. San Francisco was just buzzing with this startup energy. And I just kind of gravitated to it. I fell in love with the space and took my first job in the you know early stage startup space right around that time. I eventually found my way into Square around 2016. That was kind of my first entrance into payments. And I spent almost five years there kind of bouncing around through a number of different jobs. And my final chapter at that company was at Cash App doing product operations. And that's really where I got a chance to meet my eventual co-founder and business partner, Thomas Reinholm. And we were both golf addicts at the time. We were playing a ton and we were both competitors. We were both ex-athletes. And so natural way of kind of elevating the competition out on the golf course is playing for money. And so, you know, we kind of got exposed to that world and all the different ways of doing it. And that's really where kind of the opportunity started to, to present itself. That's a brief kind of background and backstory. Happy to, to dive into any of those areas. Oh yeah, that's great. I was going to ask where golf came in, but you answered that. So it turns out you, all you have to do to get into the tech industry is move out to San Francisco on, on your brother's couch and you just kind of fall into it, huh? So Yeah. I mean, I had zero experience. I got lucky. My first the first guy that I worked for is a guy named Lawrence. He was the CEO of a company called Double Dutch. He was a big basketball player. Okay. And so we had that in common. And so he gave me my first chance. I was a sales development rep. I was making 60 cold calls a day. That was not the sexiest job or the most enjoyable job, but it gave me my first opportunity and kind of worked my way up from there. Cool. Let's talk a little bit more about Loop Golf. I'm sure some people in the audience do know about it. Others don't. Tell us a little bit more about what Loop Golf is kind of what problem you're solving, what the product looks like, feels like. Give us a better yeah. idea of that. Yeah, so essentially, Loop Golf is a premium betting app for recreational golfers. So we facilitate real money games for folks like you and I that are going out and competing on the golf course together. And so how the product essentially works is you download Loop Golf, add a credit or debit card to your account. From there, you can fund your wallet with real money and compete and, and facilitate, you know, a variety of different games that golfers like to play. So there's match play, stroke play, skins, they all have different ways in which they're scored and tracked. And there's some complexity in doing all of that in the old school way, which is all via traditional paper scorecards and just mm -hmm. kind of jotting everything down on, on pencil and paper. And so we wanted to, to basically create a solution that streamlined all that, simplified all that for you. And so all golfers have to do in using Loop Golf is set up their games, fund their accounts with real money and input the scores on each hole. And we track everything else from there. And then we also obviously settle all of the games from a dollar's perspective, which is really kind of the novelty, which is the innovation that we brought to golf for the first time is that consumer payments angle. 
Yeah, when I was first looking at Loop Golf, I'll, I'll admit, when I first looked at it, I thought of it more of like as like a payments company. And then it made sense with Square and Cash App and your experience in, in the payment space. Sure. But the more I played around with it and the more I, I hear you talk about it, it almost seems more of like a golf, like mini games almost app, but undergirded by these really easy facilitated payments. How, how yeah. do you think about Loop Golf? Is it kind of a payments company with golf games built on top, or is it a golf games company with payments built on top? I think in the early days, we always thought of ourselves as a fintech, as a digital wallet. But as we've kind of gotten deeper and deeper into this journey, you know, I think at the end of the day, what we've done is built a real money gaming product. And that's what folks, that's what our customers love about us is the fact that they can compete for real money on our platform and they know if they win, they'll get paid, which sounds really simple and sounds like it's not a huge problem, but believe it or not, like a common pain point for a lot of golfers that are competitive is they'll often play for money, but then there's no real way of holding people accountable to settle up. And that's often one of the biggest reasons why people start to use Loop Golf is that trust and that assurance that, you know, hey, we've agreed to play for this amount of money. If I win, I, I want to make sure that it's all settled and, and there's no awkwardness there. So that's kind of what we built the foundation of the, the selling points around. Got it. So it sounds like maybe the original pain point was payment facilitation, really just like holding your buddy accountable when you beat him in golf to yeah. actually get you paid. Yep. Do you think that over time, though, it does become a bit more like a golf games company where originally the user comes because they want that payment facilitation, but then they find like, oh, there's this version of skins or whatever, to, or some sort of match play that I've actually never encountered before. And yep. Loop Golf facilitates it really well. And so next time I'm on the course, it's less that like, I trust that my buddy's going to pay me, but actually like there's this really fun way for us to interact. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's the simplicity. All these games can get very complex, right? And and they can honestly take away from the experience because there's so much nuance. There's so much to track, at least in the historical sense. And so we kind of take all of that burden off of the players. And so that's definitely kind of the secondary reason why people stick around is like, hey, like this is super straightforward, super simple. I love loop golf because of that. And then to answer your question, I think like, yeah, there is a social component too, right? Like this is another way where buddies can connect and obviously compete. And we've launched features where you can start a game on loop golf and your friends who aren't with you can participate by, you know, live betting against you around. And you that's know, cool score. So like, you know, people from all over the country now are sharing in this experience where that wasn't possible before. And so we're super excited about continuing to build out that social network. That's somewhat lacking right now in golf. And, and it is a very social game. That's why country clubs exist, right? So you know, we're excited to lean you know, more and more into that side of things. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. Shifting gears a little bit here. And frankly, this question kind of rose out of your role as talent lead at Square. Got some questions or some questions and honestly, probably thoughts even around team building and team dynamics. So Three main questions here, and I'll just kind of rattle them off and you can decide which order you want to take them in and which yeah. ones you want to ignore, whatever. First question is like, what does the current organizational structure look like at Loop Golf? That one's probably pretty easy. Second is, how do you think about growing the team at Loop Golf? Do you entrust your kind of your lieutenants, you know, your head of marketing or whoever to make hires for their team or do you kind of do it collaboratively? And then the mm -hmm. third is just about speed of hiring. Is the idea to hire quick and fire slow? Is the idea to, you know, 
hire slow and fire quick. How do you think about scaling? So let's just talk yeah. a little bit about team and how you're building out the team. Yeah. So right now, structurally speaking, it's three of us kind of on the day-to-day operational side running this thing. It's me, my original co-founder, Thomas Reinholm, and Eric, who is our CTO. And we also have a suite of advisors who work very closely with us. We've leaned very heavily into advisors from, from the early days of building this out. And that extends across marketing, community building, executive coaching. You know, we do a number of, of exercises with those folks on a monthly basis just to ensure that some of our blind spots are covered that we don't have a lot of experience in. But we also have about 40 different investors who, you know, all kind of have different levels of involvement. But like all that to say, like our team is obviously very small on the day-to-day front, but we have a really big family. And so helps us, you know, we always have someone to go to to ask questions or to open a door for us or make connections or, you know, help us with fundraising. We've really been very thoughtful and methodical about growing this thing slowly in the right way and bringing the right people in. I hope and I believe that that will pay off in the long run. In terms of hiring, that's something that that I have a lot of experience from my days working in the tech industry. And really, you know, what we try to look for is people that are highly skilled, you know, highly experienced in what they do, highly trustworthy. And we believe with those kind of three, you know, main areas of focus, you can't go wrong on the hiring front, but we don't hire quickly and we don't fire quickly either. You know, we take our time, you know, we do our homework, we do our diligence, we talk to a lot of different people. And we really kind of start within our networks and our networks networks. We, we really trust the referrals and prioritize those people first. And in terms of how we will look to, to scale this thing, like, I think the old Silicon Valley was all about grow at all costs and scale, scale, scale. I think kind of that's the old mindset to a certain degree. Nowadays, I think it's a little bit more of, of a balanced approach, a little bit more of a, you know, of a sustainable approach to growing. And I think that's more in line with kind of how we naturally have looked to build this thing out. We believe that quality takes time and, you know, we don't want to rush this thing. We're in this for the long run. We're not looking to just pump this thing up as quickly as we can and pull the ripcord and and dip out. So we want to make sure that we're doing everything the right way across the board, you know, whether that's building the community, building the products, hiring, we want to ensure that we're taking our time and, you know, doing it right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And frankly, this is your interview, not my interview, but that's actually the exact same way we're thinking about it at Outlier. So it's cool to hear that, that the Silicon, the blitz scaling Silicon Valley is sort of sunsetting. So I'm happy you're thinking about it that way. That makes a lot of sense. We'll talk about 2024 goals closer to the end of the interview, but just on the hiring piece, if you did expand the team from three to let's say five or seven or 10 or whatever, is there a specific department, if you will, that you think is most important to scale up first? And if so, which one? You know, we are leaning very heavily on Eric, our CTO. He is incredible at what he does. We wouldn't be here without him, but we'd eventually like to give him some help. (laughs) We want to do to continue building out this product experience. and, And we're very much in the early days and we lean on him as well as a gentleman by the name of Michael Sarzinski is one of our original co-founders, but just part-time does development work for us. And so eventually we would like to help build the team around those folks and, and give them some additional support and resources. 
But the other untapped area of our business that, to be honest with you, like we don't have anybody really experienced where we could greatly benefit from is the marketing side. So we've, I think, done a really good job building the brand and done some brand marketing initiatives. But like in terms of growth marketing or paid marketing, like we haven't even scratched that side of the business yet. And I think that's an exciting opportunity for us once we can bring somebody in that, that can own that side of the business for us. So those two areas between growing our dev team and growing our marketing will probably take priority and precedent. Makes sense. And I can represent to the audience here. The brand is very clean. It looks awesome. I love all the visuals. You guys are killing it with video. Looks great. I guess this is kind of still on the, the product slash dev topic. But when you're thinking about your product roadmap and what to build next, and, and no, you don't have to reveal anything here, but when you're thinking yeah. about what to build next, how do you prioritize your roadmap? Is there a specific framework that you like to employ for prioritizing the next feature set? Yeah, it's a great question. It's honestly pretty fluid. You know, each year we put together a, a annual plan. And part of that is putting out an idea of what we'd like to accomplish on the product side of things. But to be honest with you, we always check that and debate that every time we're about to kick off a new a new project to see if that is still the biggest priority for us. And I kind of love that about our team is we're willing to plan and prepare, but we're also willing to kind of disrupt ourselves if we're hearing things from our community or seeing things a little bit differently in terms of what the business needs. And so right now we've kind of been wrapping up this six month long infrastructure redesign, rebuild to kind of make the business a little bit more efficient in terms of how we're spending our cash. And it hasn't been the sexiest projects. Like we built our own ledgering system, to be honest with you, changed a lot of the backend payment stack. So we weren't paying vendors a lot of money for the services that we were offering. And so, you know, now that we're wrapping that up, there's a few engagement drivers that we are excited to launch. Chat's going to be one this year that, that has been highly requested. But there's also product like growth side that seems like it's table sticks that we just haven't been able to do. So referrals and referral kickbacks. So we're still very much in the early days of building out the foundation of this product. And so we, we are constantly trying to find that balance of growth versus engagement. And that's kind of the, the debate that's often happening internally is like, all right, what do we need right now? What are we seeing in the numbers? What are we hearing from the community? You know, and that's that's often kind of how we're tackling each and every one of the, the priorities on the product roadmap. And it's very fluid, to be honest with you. No, that makes sense. And frankly, it's better to have a robust backlog than not know what to build next. You're having to make those decisions versus what are we going to do? We have a laundry list. We use Figma to do a lot of this. We use Linear for project tracking for, you know, working with the devs, but we use Figma and we have probably a year's worth of design <laughs> features that we're often shuffling back and forth between our, what takes precedent. Again, once we can scale this team and get to more stuff, I think we'll be able to get through a lot of this, but there's no shortage of things that we want to do and, and things that we have designed out. It's just, it just comes down to resource constraints and, and trying to prioritize those folks. Yeah, absolutely. Changing topics again here, and this is more about the kind of user acquisition, I'm assuming, and maybe, maybe some of that kind of brand management. I see that you guys have a podcast. Talk to me a little bit about original content and yeah. where that's fitting into the, I'm guessing, acquisition picture and what your thoughts are around creating a, a Loop Golf podcast. Yeah, we spent all of last year 
really just trying to experiment and be open and willing to try as many channels as we could to continue to build our brand, continue to build our community up, our audience, but also to try to figure out and experiment what channels were working from an acquisition perspective. And so, you know, we knew we always wanted to continue building up, you know, our content repository and, and the podcast felt like a very efficient way of doing kind of the more low quality content initiatives. In the beginning days, the early days, we were doing a lot of high quality, long form content, but it costs a ton of money for us to do. And we were burning through a lot of cash. And so the, the podcast really kind of came into the picture knowing that we wanted to continue feeding social media with more content, but knowing that we needed to kind of balance out our high quality, high touch content with some of the more low quality, low cost stuff. So we're actually tabling the podcast right now. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> we really like from an acquisition standpoint, we're leaning on Instagram, TikTok and referrals. And we're actually going to be shifting from a lot of these kind of brand and content initiatives to more just paid marketing, paid advertising. We'll experiment and we'll see how that goes. But to be honest with you, it's all been in the early days, us trying to figure out what the right and most efficient acquisition channels are for us. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about everyone's favorite topic, legal. So I noticed when I went through onboarding, I had to give you, you know, my address and driver's license and all of that. And Presumably that's to facilitate the real, real money gaming. And this is kind of an aside, but a project I worked on years ago required getting kind of anti-money laundering approvals and licensing. And so when I see payments, kind of a payments facilitator and real money gaming platform coming together, it just feels like there's a lot of legal red tape there. Maybe you could just, I don't know if there's like a, a war story or, or something, but like, I'm just curious what that lift looked at, looks like and if it's ongoing and if you're still recovering from it, kind of where you're at with all that. Honestly, we don't talk about this really that often, but that's our single biggest moat is knowing how difficult uh, <laughs> it is to even begin to stand up a product with real money and what's looked at often as the sports betting space. And we spent the first two years trying to navigate all the red tape, all the regulatory requirements, obviously figuring out you know, what vendors we need to work with, what information we need to be collecting, what states are we, are we even illegally allowed to operate in, mm -hmm. uh, what's, what those states required of us from a product perspective, from an anti-money laundering perspective. So mm -hmm. just like trying to get the green light from all the banks and payment networks, Visa, MasterCard, et cetera, like that all was a brutal process. Not to mention... The process of working with our law firm that, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we ran up a bill that was well beyond what we had ever set out to spend. <laughs> and we almost didn't start loop golf because we almost ran out of money before we even got it started just to try to get the legal letter of opinion that you mm -hmm. needed a law firm to start shopping this business around to, to all the different payment providers. So it's a beast. It's not for the faint of heart. There was a lot of sleepless nights being like, we raised all this money. We're not even sure if we can actually do this. Thomas and I always say like, for any of our competitors, good luck. If you wanted to go do it, it's going to take you a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And at the end of the day, we're glad that we did it, but we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And, you know, not to mention, like, once you stand up that product, then you're constantly battling fraud. So yeah, that yeah. is not over, right? Like payments is a beast. And there's always bad actors trying to come in and, and find 
vulnerabilities within your platform. And so we're, we're constantly fighting an uphill battle with frosters. So it's a beast, but I think we have a two, three year head start on, on anybody that's trying to come in and compete. So, you know, we look at that as money well spent, time well served. We hope that, you know, creates a, a really nice competitive advantage for us in the long run. Yeah. I love that idea of framing legal as a moat. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, this is a maxim that everyone's heard, but ideating is easy. Executing is hard. Part of that executing is dotting the I's and crossing the T's of legal. And it sounds like you guys really went to great lengths to make that happen. A lot of our competitors trying to take the shortcut. And I understand why, like we considered it for a little while. It's a lot more of a streamlined approach, which is essentially tapping into Venmo's API. Hmm. Problem with doing that. And I'm glad that we knew this is that as soon as Venmo finds out what you're doing, they're going to shut you down. And so a lot of our competitors have gone down that route, made that mistake and sent them a year behind us even more. It's tough, man. And at this point, like our competitors are starting to come to us inquiring about whether or not we'd be open to creating a API like service for them to tap into. So that's a potential option for us as a business. You know, we're not necessarily in a position to do that right now, but all that has come full circle is really validating for us in terms of putting in the effort and making the investment. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Sounds like, yeah, you guys definitely did it the right way and are getting better sleep than your competitors. Just a few more questions here as we run out of time. One is about onboarding. And this is more of a kind of philosophical question about how you think about onboarding onto an iOS app. So I'm not entirely sure how to ask this, but I guess I'll just present the two camps of thought here and then get your take on kind of which camp you're in. So there are two camps of thinking for onboarding. One is Let's make onboarding super, super easy so I can get you to the features as fast as possible so that you see the value of the app. That's camp one. Camp two is I'm actually, and kind of counterintuitively, I'm going to make onboarding hard so that you almost have got this like sunk cost fallacy. Like I just put in all these three or four minutes, tell this app everything about myself. And it told me it was going to crunch all these numbers and everything. And now I've made it to the features. I might as well give it some time since I've already spent the four, three or four or five minutes or whatever. Which camp do you think you fall in? Which, which either today or kind of which camp would you prefer to be in? How do you think about onboarding? It's such a good question. And we've gone back and forth and debated this so often. You know, our, our initial thought here was like when the interest is peaking, right? When somebody finds out about loop golf. That's our, our, our thought process was that's the time to kind of put them through the ringer a little bit and, and collect all that information. And so that's the initial way that we've gone about designing the onboarding flow. And we've actually made a lot of tweaks and we've cut out a lot of the additional steps to make it as streamlined as possible, even though that we do have to put customers through IDV. And we're seeing, we're seeing our onboarding rates go from historically around 50% to about 75% now. Completing onboarding. Exactly. So going nice. on full process and completing onboarding. Now there's a separate camp here in that's like, we need the ability to skip IDV so that people can see the app and get into games quicker. You know, let's, let's say, you know, our, we, we have what we call a first tee problem, which is somebody in the group has loop golf, wants to use loop golf, but their three other buddies don't have it, but they share it with them. The problem is our onboarding takes too long for them to get set up on that first key box, except mm-hmm. they can't even get going. So eventually we'll probably build a different onboarding flow for that individual, for that use case. But for now, you know, we, we feel really 
good about our acceptance rates, but we know what we need. We, we know our biggest challenge and it's all in the context of loop golf is being shared on the golf course, mm -hmm. right? Before round starts. How do we solve for those people and get them into the experience, get them to that aha moment, you know, where we know we, we have our best chance of creating a sticky experience. So we're in the early days of thinking through that. It's a beast to try to tackle that secondary use case because, you know, you're having to build out a bunch of new flows and, and when you're collecting the information and, and there's just a lot to solve for, you know, we'll get there eventually. But I think we, we somewhat live in both of those camps to, to answer your question. And it all depends on when loop golf is being shared and, and the context of the environment that they're first finding out and trying to go through the flow. That's honestly a really interesting product idea to, you know, for the champion who really wants to download loop golf, really wants to get into it. Maybe you put them through the whole ringer, but for the other three in the foursome, there's just a quick referral link where you're in fast and maybe there's not as great payments facilitation until you finish setting up, et cetera. But I think that's really, maybe you can't have it both ways depending on who the, the customer is. Yeah, exactly. Like we know who our customer profiles are and we do have that champion and they're yeah. more than willing to go through the flow because often they're at home and they're, you know, they're hearing about us online or through social media, but they're sharing it with their buddies when they get to the golf course, right? hundred percent. And that's the secondary use case that we need to solve for. And to your point, it's got to be quick and they mm -hmm. got to get in. And then after the round's over, they have time to input all that information and collect their payments, right? They yeah. Have to do that. It's very similar to the Cash App approach, which was, if I have Cash App, I can send you money, Evan, even if you don't have Cash App, but you need to go through the onboarding flow of Cash App to receive that 20 bucks. So, to cash it out. Oh, that's smart. You know, we're kind of taking a page out of their book as in, in terms of how we'll eventually design out that secondary use case there. Got it. Okay. One more question before we get into kind of the wrapping questions. Yeah. Uh, so last question I have here is kind of a silly one, but I think it might be an important one to learn kind of how you feel about loop golf. But let's say you're sitting in the clubhouse and some guys just finished their round and they come in and you overhear them. And this is like the founder's dream. You overhear yeah. them talking about loop golf. What is it that you hope they're saying about loop golf? Damn. It's a great question. We're actually building an ad campaign around this right now. Like historically, golf apps have a bad reputation and there's a lot of scar tissue with a lot of golfers just because the experience has been, to be honest, pretty poor. We went through that. We, when we were doing our diligence, we downloaded every golf app and there's just been a lack of design. And instead of making the experience better and, and more enjoyable, it's actually kind of started to take away from the experience. And so I guess to answer your question directly, like I want Loop Golf to elevate the experience of playing for money. I want it to feel simple and, and get you back to what you're doing, which is supposed to be playing golf, having fun, enjoying your buddies, and we'll take care of all the other work for you. At the end of the day, we want to make sure it's an elevated experience, that it's a more enjoyable experience for golfers. So that's really what impact and impression that I hope people are having with our experience. And I hope that if we do that and execute on that, people will continue to come back because they that experience of having more fun and, and enjoying the game in, in a different light and a more competitive light. So that's probably what I hope to hear eventually. And I have thought about that, like the first time that that somebody I overhear somebody talking about the app, you know, hoping that it's positive. 
Yeah. Either way, it's a wild experience. It's happened to me a few times and it's just like blows my mind. It's very cool. <laughs> a proud moment for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. What what did I miss? Is there anything that you wanted to add to the conversation that, you know, I wasn't able to touch on or, or yeah, anything you wanted to add? I would just say like, you know, I, I, I did an interview with somebody last week, a guy named Malcolm who runs Vetted Sports and he had asked about the entrepreneurial journey, you know, and reflecting on it, it's been, and maybe it's something that I was naive to and ignorant to, but it's just such a roller coaster ride. There's a lot of people that I talk to that are interested in trying to find their way into the space. And I guess just having gone through this two or three years now, like just be prepared for the roller coaster ride and enjoy failing and be prepared for the swings that this journey will put you on and don't quit at the end of the day like it's it's going to be the most challenging most exciting but scary journey of your life but i've just gained so much from it as a professional and just as a human you know i think it's taught me a lot you know what i'll leave the conversation with today is to almost peel back the facade of of you know how much at least in silicon valley entrepreneurship's kind of put on a pedestal but like I hope people know, like, there's a lot of sacrifice that's required, and but also there's there's so much joy and benefit and self improvement that can come from it. So it's a fun little community that I found myself in, very supportive, and it's been a hell of a ride. Couldn't agree more, and very well said. All right, last thing: where can listeners find you? Where can they find Loop Golf? And and also, how can this podcast's audience be most helpful in Loop Golf? I always love feedback. I, you know, if there's any golfers that listen to this podcast, you know, download. Loop, give it a try. You can play it as a single player. You can play it with your friends. You know, we always want to hear from from folks about the experience, how we can improve it, you know, what they enjoyed about it. You can find us on Instagram, the Loop Golf Club, TikTok. We're very active. I'm personally very active on LinkedIn. Follow us and follow me. And, and you know, we, we also have a newsletter that we keep very closely in touch with our community around product updates, as well as a monthly newsletter called The Sweat. Uh, talk about everything that's going on in professional golf from a betting perspective. So we stay pretty active and in touch with our community. So follow us and follow our journey. It's a fun one. Sounds good. Well, Matt Rung, co-founder and CEO of Loop Golf. Thanks for the time, man. It has been a real pleasure chatting with you and hearing your thoughts on everything from product to onboarding to what you want to hear in the clubhouse. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate the time, Evan. This was really enjoyable and really thought-provoking questions. So thanks, thanks for all the preparation that you put into it. Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming market. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash bettingstartups. And if you like what you see, you'll get your first month free.